This is the View from the Couch podcast, and I'm your host, Pierce Wiesenar. On the program today, I will be talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, the 15th film to come out under the Marvel Cinematic Universe banner. Heading into the theater, director James Gunn made a lot of noise about the marketing campaign of this film. Far too often, trailers have told the entire story of the film, so audiences end up paying big bucks to watch a movie where they know almost everything. We see snippets of the cool action scenes, hear all the best jokes, and know many of the story beats. Gunn wanted to keep pieces of this film under wraps and buck the recent trend of trailers. So when the lights dimmed and the film began, I was eager to see what Gunn has kept hidden from us in the various TV spots and trailers. In any film that features an ensemble cast, each cast member has to get their day in the sun, because if they don't, you end up getting an unbalanced film. The result of which looks a lot like Suicide Squad, a film about a team that has eight people, but the film only spends time with three of them, which makes the audience wonder why they should care about the other members of the team if the film clearly doesn't. The first Guardians film was a success on several levels, one of them being how the film found a way to include all of the members of the team while still being focused on Peter Quill. In the sequel, the task is a little different and more difficult. Here, we aren't getting introduced to the characters, instead we are delving a little deeper into them on a more personal level and seeing how they've changed after the events of the first film. Volume 2 picks up with the first film, which I'll call Volume 1, left off. The Guardians are now famous and in demand. The Sovereign, an alien race, hire the Guardians to protect some batteries from an interdimensional monster in exchange for Nebula, Gamora's estranged sister. After Rocket steals a few of these batteries, the Sovereign attack the Guardians and are defeated when a mysterious ship arrives to save our heroes. The ship is piloted by Ego, who reveals himself to be Quill's father and a celestial, an all-powerful being millions if not billions of years old. The team splits up, half stay to repair their ship, which was destroyed in the battle with the Sovereign, while the others go with Ego to learn about Quill's father. By splitting up the team, Volume 2 changes things a bit, and I do have to give Gunn credit for that. With any sequel to a beloved film, you are faced with a dilemma. You can either double down on the first film and recreate it on a grander scale, or you can try to do something different and give the audience something unexpected. By splitting up the team, the film is trying to tell two stories at once. Bouncing between the two was not easy due to the subject matter of each story and the tone that was used to tell them. With Quill, you are taken on an emotional roller coaster as a son finally meets the father he has spent his entire life searching for. Volume 1 dealt with Quill's mother, and Volume 2 deals with his father. These are heavy-hitting scenes that are not easy to cover. Some are done in a way that pack a very heavy punch, while others leave much to be desired. But when he cuts a rocket as he's making jokes about the Ravager mutiny, it's a jarring transition. The audience is in the palm of Gunn's hands with a Quill storyline, and then he drops you in a middle school boy's locker room with all the potty mouth humor that comes with it. The audience is left with feelings and emotions that just don't fit into that story. It's a hard cut that just doesn't work. It made the entire second act of the film a very bumpy ride to sit through. The middle third of volume two would have worked if the stories shared something thematically. The connective tissue required to bring these two stories together was hard to find. Instead, one felt essential while the other took far too long to get where it was going. 
Part of what made Volume 1 great was the humor. Another part were the emotional moments. Volume 1 expertly balanced the two, which helped separate it from the numerous other Marvel and comic book movies. However, in Volume 2, Gunn never found that balance, as Drax was used as a crutch to bring an easy laugh. Scenes in Volume 2 leaned into the classic MCU problem, where everything has to be funny all of the time. For whatever reason, the film felt that the audience would lose interest if there wasn't a joke every few minutes. For some, it's something that they enjoy. For myself, it's an act that got old fast, as it distracts you from what is going on. Switching gears from our heroes to the villains, the Sovereign are given little to do and not much of a reason to be in the film. Another one of the biggest issues with the MCU are the weak villains. Each film focuses so much on the main characters that the minor characters, like the villains, become underdeveloped. Why should I care about the Sovereign and their batteries? The film never gave the audience any reason to be interested in them. When you spend Act 1 with them, the audience is lulled into believing that the film will be about the Sovereign and the Guardians. But when Ego popped in and whisked the Guardians away, I was left a little confused. Then we never really see the Sovereign again until the final battle. Aside from being cannon fodder, what purpose did they serve? The reveal that Ego is a bad guy and the final act of Volume 2 were not great. When you make the bad guy a god, how do you kill them? The answer that the audience gets is never a good one. X-Men Apocalypse is a recent example of this and highlighted one of the many problems with making a bad guy a god. While it's fun to show off their many powers, it's a tall task to ask the audience to suspend their disbelief as the heroes try to kill them. In Guardians, they start by using conventional means. Is a gun really going to do the trick? How about punching him? That's surely the answer, right? It's entirely ridiculous. At times, the fight felt like a video game final boss battle, which is never a good thing. If Ego is a god, then how come he is so vulnerable? Wouldn't it make sense for him to protect the weakest part of himself? Like so much of this movie, if you think about it for just a few seconds, it all falls apart. All of this information about Quill's heritage and the newfound power that he possesses and ultimately loses doesn't make the audience feel anything. It all happens within the span of about 45 minutes, which isn't enough time for the audience to feel the impact of that loss and the consequences of his actions. While Quill's motivation to kill his long-lost father is a noble one, Ego is still family, the only one that he has left. In Volume 2, a son kills his father. Just think about that for a second. Later, Quill watches as his daddy dies in front of him. Yondu sacrificed himself so that Quill could live in the aftermath of the battle with Ego. Once again, just think about that for a second. Finally, think about how the film handled all of that. You don't kill the two most important people in the life of our main character and end the film with him getting the girl. That trauma has consequences. Those losses have a profound impact on Peter Quill and should come to shape his character in future films. Too Bad Volume 2 kind of sweeps that all under the rug and doesn't handle those moments in a way that affect the audience. For Volume 2, it felt like the script really could have used another rewrite to help focus the film thematically and to trim things down. The scenes with the Ravagers felt useless and a little out of place. Either give the Sovereign just more screen time or cut them out. The ego stuff was all over the place as well. It was quite the leap from chill dad to murderous psychopath. I just wish I understood how he became the bad guy, because it was quite the sudden turn of events. 
Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is a solid film on the surface. It's easy on the eyes with some great visual effects, costumes, and the world that the film is set in just draws you in. The comedy is a constant and the action is enjoyable. Gunn gives the many members of the team not just something to do, but gives every character an emotional anchor, which helps fleshes out their characters as well as makes the many aliens of the film feel relatable to the audience. For all of the box office millions that the film will make and the good feelings it will give the audience, Under the Hood Volume 2 has some problems. The film breaks apart when you think about it for a few seconds as the story fails to recapture the magic of its predecessor. If I had to give this film a grade, I would give it a C-. If you like the show and want some more episodes, just subscribe for more and don't forget to rate the show and to share the episode. This has been another episode of the View from the Couch podcast. Thanks for listening.